Come on up, Kipsia. There you are. Before we dive into the Word, I want to interview Kipsia. Everyone say hi to Kipsia. Right. So, uh, oh, you're going to need the microphone. Katie, did you steal the microphone? I know. That was bad on my part. Thanks. Here you go. Hey, so a couple, I don't know, it was like a month ago, I, my wife calls me and says, Kipsy wants to use our spa to baptize someone. I'm like, Great. That's cool, you know? And then I said, go for it. And she said, but she wants you to be there. And I was like, well, she doesn't need me, you know? And that's how we just, uh, and, uh, but anyways, I got to come. It was perfect timing. It would have not happened any other day. I got to come and then uh, help with the baptism and that kind of thing. It was fun, but more just to be able to witness what God was doing. So I want you to tell the story. It's just a really cool thing that God is, was doing in you and through you. Um, well, first of all, I, somebody told me that in order to baptize someone, you have to have a minister there. So I was like, oh, well, I'm not a licensed minister yet. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. He was being careful. That's good. But yeah. by the way, you can lead anyone to Jesus and baptize them. Just go for it. All right. Amen. I've just given you, there it is. I've dubbed you disciple makers, <laughs> baptizers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There. Um, well, I, I lead an outreach uh, from Life Pacific College. Um, it's called Conversation Cafe. And what we do is a lot of Life Pacific students, we come to University of Laverne, and uh, we have fellow, uh, fellow time with them. We speak with them in order for them to practice their English with us and for us to get to know their language and their culture and just everything about them. Um, but one of my friends, Sharon, actually, she's here. Um, Woo, hi, Sharon. <laughs> um, she's actually from China. She's an international yes. student. And, um, you know, I really didn't know a, a much about her, but my friend told me, Jessica Blanco, that, uh, you know, she'd been going to a Bible study and that she wanted to be bap- baptized. So I was like, it's really funny because on New Year's Eve, um, I, I, I spent it at The Rock. And it was awesome. 16 people or 20 people got baptized. And I remember uh, before the, after the countdown, I said, Lord, it would be really awesome for me to even lead someone to the Lord. I've never done that before. And to baptize someone, like, that's amazing. I want to do that. Uh, so allow me to baptize at least one person this year. And uh, hold and behold, you know, Sharon. Of the year right. Yeah, Sharon <laughs> came and uh, me and Jessica were like, yeah, we should baptize her. Uh, we planned it all. We needed a pool. We needed, like, water. So uh, I called Michelle, and she's like, yeah, of course, come over. Um, and, yeah, we baptized her. Me and Jessica was my first time baptizing, baptizing someone. And uh, just how awesome the Lord is that he answered my prayer. And he said, um, but before that, uh, she came to chapel Tuesday, Tuesday morning at Life Pacific. And um, it was an awesome time for me because – uh, you know, that's my whole life. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, I would love to be in ministry. I want to do something for your kingdom. And uh, freshman year, you know, I kind of had a sense like, oh, being a missionary, like that would be awesome. But, you know, always about money and like I don't have my passport and I wasn't born in this day, so I can't go out in the world. Um, so that dream kind of died down until this year until that chapel morning where I just received from the Lord and he said, no, you will go to the nations wow. and I have called you to the nations. And uh, for me, I love multiculture. I love languages. I love different kind of cultures, food. It's just amazing. It just amazes me. And, um, you know, for God to call me to the nations, it's just, 
it just blew my mind. And uh, I ended up saying, you know, I am ready and I am ready. And he's saying to me, you are ready. You are ready to go. And um, that morning uh, we baptized Sharon. I felt empowered. I felt awesome that I wanted to get baptized too. And uh, re-baptized because I've been baptized before. But just for me to come to that newness with God and for me to rededicate myself. Like, Lord, you have called me and I will go. That's amazing. I mean, uh, we're so excited. I was so glad to meet you, Sharon. And it's so cool to see that because, I mean, this is God bringing people to our country that we can share with them. You don't even have to go to another country to do, quote unquote, missions, like we call it missions. Really, it's just reaching people for Jesus yeah. all, of all different uh, uh, ethnicities and cultures and everything. And, and the Lord loves them all. Now, you're going to go on a missions trip. <clears throat> yes. You've the Lord had said, you're ready, so now you're yes. going, right? So yeah. tell us about that. Where are you going? And- uh, this trip, I've been wanting to go since my freshman year, but again, the dream kind of died down. Uh, this year, he said, um, I want you to go start going. I want you to start exploring the world. And a place that I've been wanting to go ever since I knew the Lord was Israel. And uh, I feel called definitely to, you know, the outside nations, Asia and the Middle East especially the Middle East, because um, before becoming Christian, I was Messianic Jew. And just knowing the language and knowing, like, you know, the worship, and just it amazed me. And uh, I feel the Lord is calling me to, you know, reach out to the Middle East, to the Muslims and the Jews. And it's really radical. And i like, somewhat scared, but I know the Lord is going to do something amazing with that. Uh, but the missions trip is from Kenya and Israel. Yeah. So we'd be going to Kenya for one week and then going to Israel for two weeks. Cool. And you're going in like May or something like that? Yeah, we're going on May 13th through the 30th. Cool. So that's going to be over the summer. And I, I never saw myself going anywhere else in the world, just staying here in California, you know, just having a normal life. Um, but God has said, I have called you to the nations, and this is where I want you to go. This, this is kind of like my stepping stone, my first trip ever overseas. So I'm really excited. And nice. I know the Lord has promised me that he will provide every Amen. little cent. Amen. So if you would like to pray for Kipsia, if you would like to hear more about her trip, or if you'd like to give to her, you can give uh, through New Community. Like you can say, hey, this is for Kipsia, and you know, write a check to New Community. It'll get to Kipsia. Or you can, they can just give right to, is it Life Pacific College? Yeah, it's uh, lifepacific.edu, uh, Global Missions. And you would just say, you know, Kenya and Israel, and then my name, Kipsia Felix. Kipsia, yeah, Kipsia Felix. So if you want to, that's awesome. Well, praise God what he's doing, Yeah. Praise God. Thank you, Kipsia. All right. Good times. Okay. Uh, let's see. One other announcement real quick is that the next Sunday night, we have a church-wide family meeting. In five years that I've been the pastor, I have never called one of these. So that can put a weight, if you will, on how important this is. So if you're a partner with our church... I would like you to be there. So next Sunday night, March 10th, it's from 6 to 7.30. It'll probably only really take about an hour. It's not too long, but there's some really important things that we need to talk about as a church. And uh, so we're going to meet at the New Community Center, uh, which is our church offices right over there in Glendora. And you can see the address on your program if you don't know what that is. But make sure to be there unless you're physically unable. We'll understand, but honestly, you'll re- really want to be there. It's very, impo- very, very important. So that's all I can tell you right now. And... Um, I know, don't you just hate when people uh, say things like that? So, family meeting next Sunday night. Uh, the other thing is, I've heard from two people this morning the word revival. Oh, it's powerful. Uh, from Esther and Thomas. 
And uh, they're just sensing that the Lord is saying revival's coming. You know, and that's not just corporate, that's personal too, right? That's that you seeking the Lord and getting on fire for the Lord, as well as corporately us really, you know, the Bible says that he, Jesus leads us from glory to glory. There's always more of his presence, more of what God wants to do in us and through us. Just like Kipsia said, hey, Lord, I want to see, I want to lead someone to Jesus and baptize them. Well, there you go. You start, revival is when the church is walking in holiness and receiving from the Lord as well as giving it away and seeing uh, people come to the Lord in a great way. So that, we, need to, uh, we need to receive that word, amen? You'll probably, I'll probably, we'll, you know, Tom said we're going to need to talk about that at the leadership level. We'll be talking about it and, say, and, and seeking the Lord about what he's saying and how do we position ourselves for that. But uh, I will say we're always, always positioning ourselves for that. So uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. We're uh, following in the footsteps of King David. We've been learning what, what David's like so that we can become like David, ultimately so we can become like Jesus. We're learning from David's example. He, we've learned that David thinks differently. He, uh, he thought differently. He lived differently. He was different from other people in, uh, than, than the other people that were in, in the days of, uh, where he lived. And we want to know, how, how is it that we can be people after the heart of God like David was? How is it that we can fulfill our calling like David did? And so we're learning. We've seen a lot of cool things about David, haven't we? Really, if, you'll do, if you live the way David lived, you'll live in revival. Amen? And not only that, not only did David live in revival, he was a man of the word who meditated the word. He was a man who worshiped God and cultivated the presence of God in his life. He was a, a man of faith who believed the covenant and the promises God had made to him. We've seen a lot of cool things about David. But more than that, as king, he led his nation into revival. There was economic prosperity. There was blessing on that nation. But more than anything, he led that nation back to pure worship of the true God, which is, of course, where blessing always flows from. And so I love this phrase that personal victory becomes corporate inheritance. See, David's example and what God did in David manifested itself in the nation because of the way he led them, but he led them from his own example. So not only did the nation of Israel follow in the footsteps of David, and not only does the Bible tell us to follow in the footsteps of David, but this is what the Holy Spirit's been telling us. These last number of months, the Lord has said, hold up David as an example to my people. Why? The Lord wants us to follow in David's footsteps, be like David, so that we could see God's uh, uh, see revival in our own life, see his blessings come in our life and fulfill our calling like David. So let's, uh, we're going <clears> to, <throat> let's actually, let me, let me pray. Let's open up our hearts to the word of God. See, I have a word for you today. I have a word for you. God wants to speak to you. Amen? But the question is whether or not you'll open your heart to hear him. So let's do that right now. So Father, I'm asking that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that understands that we might turn and be healed. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I open my heart to hear your word today. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Just tell him in your own words, speak to me, Lord. I open my heart to you. I receive your word today. Father, I thank you that you've given me your word. I ask that you'd anoint me with your spirit to speak through me. Speak to the hearts of your people. We wouldn't just go through the motions. We would hear a word from you that would change our life. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what we've, um, 
The last few weeks, the last number of weeks, we've been focused on the fact that David went through a, quite a long trial in his early years. Before he became king, most of you already know, that he was being chased by King Saul. He was a fugitive through most of his 20s. So probably 8 to 10 years in his 20s as a young man being chased by Saul, he lost everything. And I've been showing you uh, from the scriptures that, that everything in the kingdom always gets tested. Every promise God will ever give you, everything that God wants to do in you and he wants to do it, it will always be tested. And we see, we've seen so far in the last number of weeks that everything in David has been tested. His integrity was tested. His faith was tested. His obedience was tested. Remember we've talked about that? that, in, that and, and you remember like a, a number of weeks ago, I showed you that his knee-jerk reaction when everything fell apart, that night, that week, that month, when everything fell apart, I showed you in the Psalms that his knee-jerk reaction was to bless God instead of blame God. He passed that faith test in the sense that he said, I'm not going to blame God. I'm going to sing to the Lord. I'm going to praise God. And so we see the, uh, uh, David walk in this way. And we've seen him with the integrity test. Two times he had a chance to kill King Saul. And yet he said, no, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk in integrity before the Lord. We've also seen where David continued to do what God called him to do, the obedience test. He continued to hear God and do what he said. And so we've seen David remain uh, faithful to the Lord, even in this trial. But I have a question here that I want to look at. It was a long trial. It was a long trial. This isn't like a month or a year. This was eight to ten years. This is a long time. And it's one thing to go out in the first quarter, confident, play hard, be motivated in the first quarter. But what happens when it's the third quarter and you're down by 20 points? How did David fare in the middle of the trial? See, because it's one thing if you kind of get attacked once. It's one thing if the promise gets delayed for a little while. But what happens when you're waiting for the promise of God? You're waiting for God to do what he said he would do, and it's not happening. And in fact, it looks like things are getting worse. For the most part, if you read the story of David, it kept getting worse. Again and again, I mean, you know, again and again, and King Saul, oh, here we go again. King Saul's going to chase me. And over and over again, David had to keep enduring these trials, these delays. And the question is, how did he fare in the middle of the trial? You know, it's one thing to start a race strong, right? But if you're not in shape and you're going to run a marathon, I don't know, how far would you get? <laughs> I mean spiritually, I wasn't really talking about physical running, okay? I wouldn't get very far either. Uh, I used to run like six miles around the, I think it's six miles, we always said it was six miles, maybe we just exaggerated, uh, with my other, with the pastor, used to be a pastor, used to run six miles around the Benelli Dam. I don't think I could do that anymore. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, you know, I remember climbing up a, a, a hill one time, a quite, like very steep hill with my son, John David. We got ourselves kind of into a mess. It was a great adventure. I was like, buddy, this is so cool, huh? But, and he did so good. He kept a really good attitude. But about three quarters up, he was just done. He was done. So I literally, I carried him on one arm, climbed up on with the other arm up this steep hill. He still remembers going through this green bush. We couldn't go to the left or to the right because it was a cliff on both sides. But I just went right through the bush. And he hated that. He hated that. I was like, buddy, didn't you have fun? Nope, didn't have fun. Want to do that again? Nope, don't want to do that again. Uh, 
He goes, Dad, remember when you took me through that bush? I hated that. You know, I don't think he said hated it, but he said something like that. He just said something. We can, you can start strong. You can start with a good attitude. But when you're in a marathon, when you're going three, four, five rounds or three quarters, four quarters, when you're going at it and the, and the promises are delayed and the hardships keep coming, that's what tests your stamina, doesn't it? It tests your fortitude. It tests your strength. I wonder about David. How did he do? So look with me in Psalm 40. And this is David. Can you imagine David standing up? Like imagine right now that, that, uh, that, that, that the congregation of Israel gathered together in the temple to worship God. Imagine David, Pastor King David, He wasn't just a a political leader. He was a spiritual leader, pastoring his people. He gathered them together, and he begins to sing to them, and he begins to declare to them the testimony of what God did in his life. I mean, really, David was teaching Israel. Psalm 40 is like the testimony of King David, and then we're going to look at Psalm 37 in a second, where he's literally teaching Israel. It's amazing. Listen to what he says to the nation of Israel. I waited patiently. For the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. I can imagine David before all of Israel. I can imagine him even being emotional, even crying. Hey guys, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. And listen to what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. When he says that many will see and fear and trust the Lord, he's saying, many are going to see what God did in my life. Many are going to see how God delivered me, how God has been faithful in my life. Many are going to see that. and They're going to put their trust in God. This was his passion. His passion to see Israel put their hope and trust in God. He did it. And he wanted to see his people do it. Listen to what David said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He said, I put my hope in God. I put my... My expectation that God would come through for me and God would do what he said for me. I put my hope in God and I just waited patiently. That's a big thing to say if you've been in a trial for close to a dozen years, you know, close to a decade. Means day in and day out. Waiting. All these hardships. Yet David said, I didn't give up on the Lord. Can you imagine that somebody comes up to David and says, David, David how, how is it that you're king? How, how did this happen? I'll tell you why. David, tell me why. Because I waited patiently. Because I waited patiently. David, how come you didn't give up? How come you didn't just like, forget it. I'm done with this. I'm done with God. How come you didn't just... Go off into another country. How come you didn't just give up? Because I waited patiently for the Lord. 
put my hope in God. I didn't give up. And he says, that's why God came through for me. Because he made promises to me. Because he was with me and I kept crying out to God. What he's telling you, and we see it, we have tons of Psalms of King David where over and over again we see his lifestyle just crying out to God, God, I need you, God, come through for me. You're my help, God. This crazy guy's trying to kill me. You're, you're with me, you're for me. And we see God, David just keep crying out to God and singing to the Lord. He says, I put a new song in my heart. He said, I just, keep pray- I just kept praising the Lord. And it's because I waited patiently. God heard my cry and he came through for me. See, a lot of times we think, We think faith is telling God what we want him to do. Our way, our timing, the way we expect it to happen. That's putting our expectation or our hope in circumstances. That's putting our expectation or hope in people or in other things. But when our hope is in God, we wait patiently. I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know how he's going to do it. But faith, is when you put your trust in what he said. He said it, he will do it. And I'm waiting for him to do what he said. Amen? Look at what he tells the Israelites in Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Now you can tell that this is a, what we call, we, uh, scholars call this a didactic psalm. That's just a big word for he's teaching them something. We can tell that because he's, making, he's giving commands. It sounds like a sermon, not a worship song. Listen to what he says. He's talking directly to the nation of Israel, singing to them, and he's telling them what kind of things he learned. He's speaking out of his own life experience, out of his own struggles, and he's giving himself as an example to the people, and he says this, Psalm 37, verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut off like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let's stop there for a second, though the whole psalm is awesome. I don't want to lose you. Did you notice how David keeps telling them what to do? He's speaking from his own life, and he's telling them, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't give in to envy, don't give in to anger or wrath, but rather trust God. Put your hope in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in him. And why does he say that? He says, because God's going to come through. He says, the wicked might prosper for a season. But he says, they'll wither as the green herb in verse 2. He says, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Will it happen tomorrow? Well, we all hope so. Will it happen the way you think? Probably not. But he will do it. What David's trying to do is he's trying to build up their faith. He's trying to tell them, you guys, I waited for the Lord. I didn't give up on God. I put my trust in the Lord. I kept crying out to God because he made a promise to me that I would be king. David, how come you're king? Because I waited patiently for him. And he did what he said he would do because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. See, even though David waited patiently for the Lord, did David ever struggle? No, no, he never struggled, right? Oh. This is why we love David. Because he's a real man. He's a real person with real emotions. And he really struggled. Right, Psalm 56. When I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you. David would get so scared. A lot of times his psalms would say, I just want to run away. He would say, I, want, like, I wish I had wings like a dove to just fly away. He, he would be so scared. And wouldn't you? He was so freaked out at times. That's why he would sing songs like, you're my refuge, because this cave is not going to do any good. You are my refuge. Do you see what I'm saying? One of, my, one of the, the stories I think that illustrates this well is the story of Nabal. I'm just going to tell you the story instead of looking there, but it was, it was after David had a chance to kill King Saul, and he didn't kill him. And David, some time goes by, and David, again, he's trying to be faithful to the Lord. He's trying to take care of his, his extended family, Israel. He's trying to be faithful, even in the midst of a trial. And so he, he, he takes care of Nabal's uh, um, shepherds. He kicks, takes care of Nabal's sheep. And he basically protects Nabal's servants and Nabal's stuff from being attacked by other, other enemies. And David's just trying to do this because, again, well, I, that's my calling. I'm trying to be faithful. Well, it comes time for the sheep shearing and, you know, maybe some sacrificing of some sheep and some harvesting and some celebration. And David sends some people down to Nabal and say to Nabal, hey, Nabal, uh, we really, we took care of you. Took care of your people. And we were wondering if we could have some, some, some stuff to celebrate with. You know, just some of the stuff to just pay for my men and the, and the, and the, and the, the sacrifice they made to take care of you. And Nabal says, what? I don't think so. What? I'm going to bless you? You're rebelling against King Saul, you know? And basically Nabal is accusing David of you know, being a rebel. And he says, I'm not going to help you out. Now, now here, here's the deal. Nabal was definitely a fool. And Nabal was definitely ungrateful. And he definitely spoke way too harshly. So Nabal's messed up over here. But David reacts really strongly. Really strongly. I'll tell you, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know what it was, but David was set off. See, because what happens is, when you bottle up your emotions on the inside, they're going to come out. Somewhere they're going to come out. It's like a pressure can. And it's either going to explode in an unhealthy way, or we've got to learn to get these emotions out in a healthy way, in a right way, in an honest way. I really believe that David, he was trying to do the right thing. In fact, that's actually the time when we're most tempted to get angry, envious, fearful, etc., etc., like we see in Psalm 37. And David's trying to do the right thing, be integrous before God, not going to kill King Saul, but the guy's trying to kill me, but I'm not going to kill him, right? 
And I'm trying to take care of Israel here. I'm trying to be a good man. And the guy won't even let me have any sheep. I'm going to kill him. And he just explodes in a rage. He marches. He goes, men, get your swords. We're killing that fool. And he, ha- he, he is bent on killing Nabal. The Bible says, Psalm 4, David would say, in your anger, do not sin. Why? He knew that. He knew what it was like to wrestle with anger. He knew what it was like to envy people who seem like everything's going good for them. He struggled with these emotions because he's a real person. And in Psalm 37, he's trying to teach Israel what to do with those emotions so that they can wait on the Lord. And so with Nabal, good thing Abigail shows up. Abigail was Nabal's wife. Abigail was a wise woman, a woman of peace, a peacemaker, good model for Ladies, and she basically comes to David and appeases him with some food and then says to him, don't kill Nabal. I know he's a fool, but don't kill him because you'll be committing blood guilt. Basically, you, you, you will not be innocent. Because even though Nabal was a fool, he wasn't worthy of being killed. David would have literally done something with, uh, uh, without integrity. A lot of times, our anger, a lot of times, our envy, a lot of times, these unhealthy emotions can cause us to do things that are really dumb. Sinful, hurtful to ourselves and others, and really can actually bring destruction. David almost did something. I don't know what would have been the consequences, but he would have had blood guilt on his hands. And he would not have had the favor of the Lord in that, in that area of his life. Abigail stops him and he says, oh, thank you so much. And then actually with the irony of the story is Nabal ends up dying. And David marries Abigail. So it's kind of a weird story. But... I think the point of that part we won't go into today is this, that God vindicated him without him doing it himself. But a lot of times, when we grow weary of doing good, when we allow envy and anger and fear to begin to come up in our hearts and we don't deal with it, it can cause us to make those bad choices. <clears throat> so let me say it this way. Emotions, let me give you the principle. Emotions are like the lights on the dashboard of your car. Okay, you're driving down the street, and boom, check engine light comes on. Oil, change oil comes on. Or just the simple one, you're getting close to E. You know, you're almost on empty. What are these lights telling us? Okay, these lights are telling us something's going on in, in my engine. Okay, your emotions are like the lights on the dashboard of your car. To translate the metaphor, they are evidence of things going on in your heart, under the hood, in your engine. They're not necessarily right or wrong, but they are evidence of something going on in there. What David is showing us, maybe more than David, the Holy Spirit is revealing to us today, is that when you see the presence of fear. See that? Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. When you see the presence of envy, judging, comparing, anger, bitterness, fear, anxiety, when you see the presence of those emotions in your heart, they're evidence of unbelief. They're the weeds that spring from the seeds of unbelief. 
They show you that your hope is in someone else or in something else other than God. This is why David is saying, guys, watch out for those things. I know. Watch out for those things. But the presence of things like rest, peace and joy, trust, intimacy with God, where you're delighting in the Lord. So when we begin to grow weary of doing good, zaps us of intimacy with God. don't want to spend time with Him. When you see rest in your heart, hunger for God, joy, when you see intimacy with God in your heart, the presence of those emotions, evidence, faith. Now, when you're driving down the street and you see a light come up on your car, empty, fill up your tank, right? You see the presence of the light. The light comes on, ding, and it's, uh, probably doesn't ding. Uh, you see the presence, and it, and it says oil, oil change, oil's low. Do you put a piece of tape over it? I just really don't want to see it. Do you, do you make excuses? Do you justify? Well, a lot of us do, Right? Here's the funny thing about car maintenance and really all of life, regular maintenance, right? It's the same thing in our own spiritual life. You've got to take care of this thing. You've got to take care of your heart because stuff grows up in it that you don't want there. Remember Jesus said there's rocks, thorns, there's rocks, there's those areas of unbelief, offense towards God, offense towards people, those thorns, busyness, deceitfulness of wealth, envy, things like that. Jesus said, that stuff's in your heart and it needs to be dealt with. So what do you do? Do you ignore it? Bottle it up? Shove it down? Blame other people? Right? Let's say we're driving down the street and I'm driving down the street and my wife says, oh, hey, we're on E. We should get gas. Don't, don't talk to me about my car. It's my car. My car. This is who I am. Okay? I'm just, my car's just being honest about how it feels. These are my feelings. These are my, this, my lights on my car, okay? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. We can become so defensive. So defensive. Listen, it's one thing to be honest about your emotions. Another thing to validate where it's coming from. All your emotions are doing is telling you what's going on in your heart. And the presence of envy and greed and judgment are evidence of things that are not good. And the evidence of rest and loving people and praising God is evidence that some things are going good on the inside of your heart. We need to learn how to cultivate these things, cultivate the good stuff in our heart. I uh, remember one time the Lord, worshiping the Lord, I'm talking to him, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm worrying about the finances of our church, like four years ago. And the Lord said, You have greed in your heart. No, I don't even know what you're talking about. So you got to know me. Like, I don't really care about stuff. I don't need stuff. Really even think about stuff very much. So I'm thinking, no, I don't know what you're talking about. See, we give ourselves way too much credit. Way too much credit. Right? Give ourselves way too much credit. And uh, I say, I don't know. I don't, I don't have greed. What are you talking about? I don't really need stuff. I'm just worried about the provision for the church. Don't know. He said, because 
your hope is in people to provide, not in me. Covet what they have. So I repented, of course. Repented before the Lord. And I began to learn how to put my hope in the Lord. This is His church. This is His ministry. He is the provider. I began to purify and refine those motives in my heart. See, where, did, where was that worry coming from? Where does worry come from? Jesus said, you can serve God or money. So don't worry. So if you see the presence of worry, who's your God? Your hope is in money. Your hope is in someone or something coming through for you. Why do you get mad at your boss? Because your hope is in your boss. Why do you get mad at your spouse? Because your hope is in your spouse. We put expectations on people. We make them our God, don't we? We need to put our hope in the Lord, amen? I remember when I was a new believer, I was so insecure, so deeply insecure. I'd get around uh, other pastors, preachers, communicators, teachers at my school I went to, and I always feel so insecure, basically around anyone who is successful. Because I was so insecure on the inside of me. I honestly didn't even know necessarily what those emotions were or where they were coming from. But I had this deep craving to be acknowledged. Very unhealthy. And the Lord had to break that pride in me. Break that self-worship. I still remember when the Lord said, you want people to worship you. You want to be God. I mean, I'm a Christian. I don't want that. What are you talking about, God? I usually tell people that, and they're like, oh, boy, Dave, you are really screwed up. I go, anyone who thinks that, they don't even know what's going on in their own heart. These are the things that are deep in our hearts, aren't they? These are the things that Jesus wants to purify. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. So he exposed these things in my heart. I began to break pride in my heart, break the desire to be acknowledged and affirmed by showing me Father God loves me. I don't need anyone to approve. I need to be faithful to the Lord. You know, I still drive down the street sometimes. The Lord has really broken a lot of this insecurity and pride in me, but I still drive down the street sometimes, past another church. I don't know where it comes from, but all of a sudden I find myself judging and comparing myself to other churches. I mean, you guys don't struggle with that because you're not pastors. It's the temptation every pastor, really. But you want to know what? It doesn't matter. We always think the grass is green on the other side. That's what we're tempted. It's envy, comparing, judging. And we either kind of, oh, I'm better than them. Or, oh, how come God hasn't done it in my life? You ever hear somebody give a testimony? Somebody gets healed and you're like, oh, I've been believing God for that. How come God did it for them? I mean, how many times do I hear, oh, it's because you're a pastor, Dave. Look, I do not have a gift to live it. I might have a gift to teach the word, but I'm the same as everyone else here. 
I have to choose by the grace of God to live it just like everyone else. I got the same junk going on in my heart just like everyone else. And I have to choose to deal with it just like everyone else. I have to do what the word said. And if I disobey the word and it brings consequences to my life, his word's still true. Amen? Amen. I would just like to be an example of the good, personally. So I'm going for obeying God and obeying his word. So I drive down the street and that comparing comes up my heart. I'll be honest, most of the time I'm blessing, blessing other people, blessing other churches, blessing other pastors. Most of the time my heart's in a good place nowadays. But it still, still comes up in my heart. See, when I notice I'm getting grumpy, I start getting grumpy, I know. Hmm, I need to be with Jesus. I need some spiritual hugs. I need some Holy Spirit time. I probably need a nap. All right, taking a Sabbath and getting naps and eating right is good, is very important too. It's all part of keep it, taking care of your inside, but my point is that it's, it always comes back to faith. If I start feeling grumpy, I start comparing, I start getting a little disappointed. Man, I don't know. I hope God's going to do it. I don't know if God's going to do it. You know what I know? See, the, only di- the difference between then, when I really struggle with depression and disappointment and stuff, and now, is not that I don't have those feelings. It's what I do with them. When I was younger, it was like the thing had its foot on my neck. And my, most of my emotions were, were unhealthy and negative. Now, I walk around with such a rootedness in God's love and such a joy, but I still get tempted all the time with these types of feelings and emotions that David's talking about in Psalm 37. And I have to choose to do what he says. David, is your hope in the Lord? Or your hope in other people? Are you walking by sight or by faith in what God said? Because when walking by sight, your emotions are going to be attached to that. When you're walking by faith in what God said, your emotions will be attached to his word. Amen? Let me read to you a couple of verses. Just listen to this. So, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 5. Listen to Romans 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. What's going on when you're waiting for the promise? What's going on when you feel like everything's going bad? What is he trying to teach you to do? Live by faith. When you're running a race, and you feel like your lung is going to burst out of your mouth, what is that telling you? I am out of shape. Yeah? I can't go on. The answer is to keep exercising. Yes? When you're going through a trial and you find your faith failing, weak, the answer is not to give up. The answer is not even to beat yourself up and condemn yourself. That is wrong. God knows that we're weak. He's full of compassion towards us. But do you know what he wants? Perseverance. You know what perseverance is? The ability to run that whole race. It's when you're spiritually in shape and will manifest, manifest itself in character. Your ability to continue to trust God and love other people and be a nice person instead of Rude to other people, right? What was David doing? He was taking his anger out on other people. 
You guys ever do that? You, but you, don't, you don't do that. Just, is that just me? Having a bad day, take it out on other people, right? When you're not aware of your own emotions, you don't even know why you're having a bad day. You don't even know why you're angry. Just take it out on other people. Right? It's time to become aware. This is step number one. Become aware of your own emotions and take responsibility and say, oh, man, if I see that going on in my heart, that light on the dashboard of my car, that's telling me something's not right in my heart. I need to take responsibility for that, and I need a shift. You start getting bitter. You're angry at the church. Why? Why are you angry at the church? Why are you angry at God? You start to grow weary. Galatians 6 says, do not grow weary while doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. You start, you start wondering, man, why am I just not feeling motivation anymore? Why do I just feel bleh? Want to know why? Growing weary while doing good. You're beginning to allow a lie in your heart that God might not do what he said he's going to do. It's so cool. The Lord's been teaching me how to endure for the last couple of years. He's been just keeps telling me that from Hebrews 10. He says, you have need of endurance. Isn't that great? I just, you have need of endurance. So then a few weeks ago, I was talking to the Lord, and he was affirming me, just saying, it's just really cool. It was a great time. Like a few weeks ago, God just spoke to me like every day a lot, just pouring on his love, you know, just speaking to me about what he was doing in me and some, telling me I was being faithful, just some good stuff, right? Just, I love you. And he was talking to me about you, by the way. He's telling me a lot about his love for you, his love for you, and giving me his heart for you, and just pouring out this love. And then he said, he was saying, "Dave, you're doing good. You're being faithful, but you're weak." That's what he told me. I didn't take offense because I knew he was right. The point is that it's only when we can be patient in faith, patient in love, consistent. That's character. Character is when you're consistently like Jesus, no matter what other people do, no matter what the circumstances. See, when you believe his word, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. He said it, I believe it. It doesn't matter what you do or what you do, I'm going to do what God said. That's character. That's, and that's what we talked about in the integrity test. Listen to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Same thing, enduring, strength, spiritual stamina. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's awesome, isn't it? See, God wants to refine the motives of our heart so that we're complete in Christ. Then he goes on to say this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he receive anything, anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's a serious thing. Many times we are very unstable, aren't we? One minute we're good, next minute we're not. Things are going good around us, we're feeling good. Things are not going good. We base our emotions and our happiness on what other people are like. If they're happy today, I'm happy. If they're not happy, I'm not happy. Unstable. 
Double-minded is when you say, yeah, God said it in his word, I believe it, but you know, I don't know if he'll come through or not. It's entertaining, maybe he won't do it. Well, what if he doesn't? It's double-minded, unstable. And what David is saying to us in Psalm 37, what the Spirit is revealing to us, you guys, don't be afraid. Don't give place to the anger. Don't give place to the worry. Don't envy the wicked. No, no. Rest in the Lord. Trust Him. Believe that He'll do what He said. Put your hope in God. Not in man. Not in the things of this world. I love what Hebrews 6 says. This. I don't have it here. Hold on a sec. Hebrews chapter 6. Pull that up. Verse 17. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that would be us, the immutability of his counsel, meaning that when he doesn't change his will, he confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's he saying? He's saying that God made a promise to us, many promises, and he cannot lie. He made promises, and he's proven to us by the blood of his son, he cannot lie. And the fact that God doesn't change, and his word is true, and he cannot lie, he says in Hebrews 6, the author says, is an anchor for the soul. What does that mean? It means when you believe his word, your soul Rooted in that reality. This is why David would say in Psalm 16, I've set the Lord always before me because the Lord is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. No matter what he's going through, I'm rooted and grounded in the love of God. Not shaken. I have an anchor for my soul. It's the hope I have because God will do what he said he will do. Let me just show you something that David would say. We're going to end with this in Psalm 138, just learning from David's example. When I'm struggling with those emotions that I tell you about, when my eyes get off of the Lord and get into circumstances or myself, so often look at my own performance or lack thereof, begin to beat myself up, become discouraged at my own self, what do I do? Turn my eyes back to the Lord, I get to the Word. And I remind myself what God said. Remember in Psalm 37? Feed on his faithfulness. Stay in the land. He says, dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. What is he saying? You get in the word, his promises, and you feed on his word. You feed on the promises of God, the faithfulness of God. You remember what he did do. A lot of times when we're growing weary, we start complaining, becoming unthankful. But a person who's feeding on the faithfulness of God is remembering the testimony of what he did. A person who's feeding on his faithfulness is meditating the word. 
And a lot of times what I do is I begin to remind myself what God has said, remind myself what God did, testimony, and I begin to lift up my voice and declare the promise of God out loud, out of my mouth. I love what we were singing on earlier today. Firm on his promise, I'll stand. How do you do that? Do you, do you take a Bible and stand on it physically? No, out of your mouth. Do not look at that, this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night. Speak the word out loud. Listen to what David said in Psalm 138. This is like in the midst of his trials. This is when he could have grown weary. Year after year after year, and he's still saying this. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I want you to think about that for a second. If every day you woke up and said, you will deliver me from my enemies, and every day you woke up, here comes Saul. You might grow weary of doing good, huh? You might begin to think, is this just positive thinking? Is this just, I'm just trying to encourage myself? See, we stop crying out to God. We stop asking Him to do it. We grow weary in prayer. We grow weary in worship. It starts to sound hollow, doesn't it? When day in and day out you say, by His stripes I am healed, while your body is still in pain. You promised me that I will see joy in your house of prayer. And I'm totally depressed. You will deliver me, God, from this addiction as you're falling into it again. And we stop standing on his promises. We grow weary of doing good. We grow weary of obeying God. We say, forget it. I'm done. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my way. I'm going to go sin. We do that a lot of times, or we just stop crying out to God, seeking, asking, knocking, and we stop blessing him. And I want you to hear what David said. God, even in the midst of these troubles, you will revive me, you will free me from my enemy, and you will perfect what concerns me. What is he saying? My calling. You promised I'd be king, I will be king. Even in the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me. He had a perspective that said, man, even in this horrible time, you're still with me. And he had a perspective. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm telling you, David thought differently and he spoke differently. And no matter how long he was in that trial, he just wouldn't stop saying what God said. This is how you put your hope in the Lord. This is how you put your hope in the Lord. This is how you you do what David's saying. Stand on that promise. You feed on his faithfulness. And you keep saying what God will do. Not maybe, not might, not if, not I hope so. That's, that's an unstable person. And you put your hope in the Lord and say, God, you will do what you said. And I'm going to wait for you. And so when I'm struggling... I remind myself what God is saying. I remind myself what he's done. I stand before the Lord. I start declaring the promises of God from the word, from prophecies, whatever. I just say, I remember, Lord, you told me this, you told me that. I begin to speak those things. And when you speak those promises, begin to paint that picture in your mind. Begin to see what God's going to do. Builds up your faith. Then I can hear the Lord. Then I can say, God, what are you 
What are you saying for me to do? What do you want me to do? The Lord can lead you. The Lord can purify and refine motives. The Lord can deliver you from things. And even while you're in the wilderness, and even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you can have those healthy emotions. Hey God, I haven't seen you come through yet. You said you're going to provide. Philippians 4, you will supply all my need according to riches and glory. I don't know how you're going to do it. You know, people will say, I thought it said in Philippians 4, God is going to provide all my needs. I, do, I still don't have a job. Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food? And he did what he said. Faithful. And hey, we can say, you know what? Even in the wilderness, even while I'm waiting on God, he's still with me, still taking care of me. And then we can take the promises of what's better and say, God, you're going to deliver me. You're going to come through. Amen? This is what it means to put our hope in God.